0: You want to go ahead and read the thing?
1: On a sunny April afternoon in 2004, thousands of people gathered in Charleston, South Carolina, to watch and participate in the funeral of eight men. The procession from the memorial service to the cemetery included horse-drawn hearses and hundreds of men dressed in replica Civil War uniforms, representing both Confederate and Union forces. Descendants of the dead men watched as eight coffins were laid side by side in a single vault at Magnolia Cemetery, and heavily veiled women dressed to represent period widows in black Victorian gowns dropped flowers into the grave as they filed by. A choir sang, and a fifty-one-gun salute by the costumed reenactors was followed by taps on the bugle. In the shade of the live oaks and magnolia trees surrounding the plot, a pair of flags ruffled in the breeze, the familiar stars and stripes of the U.S. paired with the Confederate battle flag. The men being buried in Magnolia Cemetery had been dead for 140 years. For much of that time, they had been locked inside a cast-iron submarine buried in the silt below Charleston Harbor, following a successful attack on a Union warship during the last brutal year of the American Civil War, when Confederate-held Charleston was desperately trying to break a blockade by Union forces. The eight sailors honored on this day weren't alone in their corner of the cemetery either only an arm's length away lay another thirteen confederate sailors who had died inside the same ship months before she even entered combat on this episode of relative disasters the three sinkings of the poorly designed confederate submarine css h l hunley
0: Excellent job, Greg. Thank you. Uh, Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context implications and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella. I'm the chair of the Early Submarine Department here at Relative Disasters University.
1: And I'm her brother, Greg, Chief Submersible Safety Director of the Relative Disaster Corporation.
0: So, yeah, uh, this was a really unpleasant episode to research.
1: Um, (laughs) I'd imagine because digging into anything with the Confederacy is always unpleasant. And, and this is not to alienate, uh, you know, our, our friends and listeners who live in the South, but this might purposefully alienate people who still think that, uh, the Confederacy was a great idea that, uh, should still be celebrated today. Yeah, that's
0: what really bothers me. The war itself does not bother me as much as the veneration that we see in events like the 2004 funeral, quote unquote, of um, yeah. these men who yeah. have been dead for 140 years. Sure. I think actually this is our first Civil War story, unless you count the Jones Liddell feud episode, which I don't think anyone listened to. <laughs>
1: No, they listened to it. We, we have we have like four or five listeners. Awesome. on
0: that Oh, that's really, that's a great <laughs> increase. <laughs> um,
1: Both of our regular listeners at least have heard and it. And I
0: have to confess, like growing up in the U.S., being raised yeah. in the North and getting that kind of like basic American history version of the Civil War, like, you know, Abraham Lincoln, plantation slavery. Uh, I lived as an adult for several years below the Mason-Dixon line where there's a very different interpretation of the same conflict. And when I was there, it was still very much known as a war for states' rights, which does sound a lot better than emancipation, right?
1: I mean, I used to teach high school history, and we got into a wonderful discussion on the Civil War with a student who had recently moved to uh, to our school from Alabama. Mm -hmm. And when we got to the Civil War, Uh, I asked my class, you know, what what was the cause of the Civil War, the main cause? And because we talk about how most wars are caused by economics and economics caused the Civil War. Right. There was a huge unpaid labor force that was being taken away from people uh, because it was inhumane and inhuman to keep them as an unpaid labor force. Anyway. Right. And uh, and so uh, the student raised his hand and he said well it was it was about states rights and i said okay the states right to do what and to his credit the light turned on as one of the other classmates goes i don't know keep people as property it was a very fraught discussion sure. but it's it's because we really do have uh, two wildly different interpretations of the same Horrible, horrible event in the United States. And it was one that was coming since the birth of the country. Mm -hmm. And it is nothing short of a political miracle that, uh, for one, the Confederacy lasted for as short a period of time as it did. And two, that the country is not, um, while we may be culturally fractured, we are not physically fractured. Uh we can, you know, we can drive down to Georgia without needing our passports. Sure. So I, I just think I the American spirit is one of those things where we, we tend to become very, very attached to our past because we have so little of it. We are a very, very young country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, rant over.
0: I think being <laughs> able to look at stories like the incident that we're gonna talk about tonight, uh from yeah. You know, first of all, we have a great distance between the events that we're going to talk about and today. But second of all, when you research something like this, you come across a lot of almost nostalgia kind of writing.
1: Yeah. Weren't things so much better back in the time? And I have
0: to say, this is a really rich story to research because so much of this very ephemeral incident has been preserved and is in libraries and is being digitized and we have access to it. Sure. I just don't know how I feel about kind of contributing to that perpetuation of.
1: The mythology. The. Yeah. Glorification. Glorification,
0: mythology, nostalgia. Uh, This is a story of some idiots, basically. (laughs) I mean, it really is. built something stupid that didn't work and got other people killed. Now, what you need to know about this story is that the southern side of the Civil War, the Confederate States, They didn't have much of a navy. They had a big army. No. They had lots of horses. They had lots of guns. They had great uniforms. The Union has tons of ships. They have enough ships to make a really robust blockade. The point point of the blockade (laughs) is to keep money, manpower, and supplies from reaching Confederate forces, which uh, even early on in the war, the Confederates desperately Mm. needed resupplies. Uh, They also needed money, and the blockade meant that cotton and tobacco could not be shipped out for foreign markets. So the blockade was a good idea. It was one of the more successful moves the Union made, and it really, really crippled the Confederate economy. So even early on in the war, the Confederacy was dumping money and resources into things they thought would bust up the blockade, right? Sure. Eventually, they build what are called torpedo boats, these are small, yes. fast, agile ships. They're a little bigger than a rowboat. They have steam engines. They have a crew of five. They sit really low in the water. Yeah. And they have a spar torpedo, which is basically an explosive on a stick strapped to the front of the boat.
1: Yeah. You, you love you this idea already. Really fast yeah. at, at the enemy and you hit them and then you try to get away.
0: Yeah. I mean.
1: It, it's foolproof. It sounds like it's a blast. But um bum tish.
0: They're cheap to build. They're very sneaky and fast. Yep. They don't work very well uh, for reasons you can probably picture in your head. <laughs> I,
1: I, I can't think of a single flaw.
0: Yep. Uh, so to give you some idea of how unpredictable these boats are, one of the design flaws is that they sit so low, their boilers are sometimes put out by choppy water from their own wake. We're talking like yep. two or three inches above <laughs> the surface of the water. Yep. I don't know why that, that image is so funny to me, but it is. Okay.
1: I mean, it's pretty great.
0: We go now to New Orleans, Greg. This is uh, one of the heavily blockaded ports. Yes. And here we find two steam gauge manufacturers and amateur inventors named James McClintock and Baxter Watson.
1: Oh, goody. Now, they're not. Love a good Baxter.
0: They're not involved with the army at all, but they're trying to sell stuff to the army. Yeah. So they are, right now they're trying to sell. As you do, yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah, you need those military contracts. There's
0: a buck to be made. These guys are going to be after it. Do it. Uh, what they do in their machine shop is design a new manu- manufacturing process for mini-A balls. Those cannonballs okay. that whistle and yep. explode. This machine never went into, or this manufacturing process never went into production. Uh, okay. These guys are also kind of sketchy. They might actually have just designed it as a con. <laughs> Unclear. I love it. Uh, But Uncle. either way, James McClintock was all about the exploding cannonballs. Uh, and his next step is torpedoes. So they decide, Baxter and James decide they are going to design a submarine, uh, which can't be that much harder than designing a manufacturing process for cannonballs. Sure. And they are machinists, they're mechanics, they have access to a foundry, so this isn't like quite as bonkers as it sounds, and they're not driven right. as much by patriotism as by the cash prize, because at this time yeah. the Confederacy is so desperate to break up the blockade that they're offering a bounty of 50000 dollars to anyone who can sink a Union blockade ship. Okay. So McClintock and Watson, in their little foundry, draw up some plans for what is essentially an underwater torpedo boat. Right? It's a little skinny boat. Okay. Uh goes underwater. It's, you know, it can't fail. They see no possible sure. reason how this is not going to make them a million dollars. They start looking around for right. investors so they can get it built. Okay. Now, I've seen the drawings for this original submarine, and they do not inspire me to invest in this company. They're very, very basic. <laughs> It's basically like the outline of a cigar shape with little figures inside. Yep. And a propeller. Okay. And uh So it's
1: like those little those little like toy boats that you used to win at like a fair or a carnival that had the little propeller on the yeah, end with the rubber band. Yeah, with the rubber band. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: It's exactly like that only it's completely <laughs> closed in.
1: I want I want it so badly to actually be powered by a giant rubber band like no steam engine. Just just wind a rubber band and see how... Anyway. I'm going
0: to tell you what they come up with, and you can decide for yourself if a rubber band would have been better. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> All right. So at some point that year, their plan, uh, plan in huge quotation marks, their yep. idea yep. <laughs> comes across the desk of Louisiana state legislator, lawyer, customs house agent, rice plantation owner, amateur inventor, and wealthy white man... Horace yep. Lawson Hunley.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting yeah. guy. Sure. Uh,
0: he is completely captivated by this e- idea of this submarine. He's also kind of an amateur inventor, but he's, you know, he's a wealthy white person. He doesn't really. He dabbles is my point.
1: Okay. Okay. All right, he's it. got the law
0: firm. He's got the rice plantation. His hands are full, but he loves to, you know, talk Tinker. engineering. And he actually sure. had engineering put on his tombstone as his profession, so which
1: Well that's nice. I thought was a little sad. Okay. <clears throat> so Horace you Hunley would be has a podcaster on <laughs> I
0: know. I
1: know. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat>
0: Horace Hunley is captivated by this idea of the submarine. He immediately starts dumping his personal fortune into the project and getting his rich friends interested. Sure. He becomes a partner with McClintock and Watson, and together they are able to put together a cast-iron submersible by February of 1862. Okay. They call it American Pioneer. That's the name of this. It, is it a ship? It's a submersible? It's not exactly a submarine. I guess we can call it a submarine. Okay. It's 35 okay. feet long, Greg. It is shaped like a cigar. It carries a crew of three, and it is powered by... Not a rubber band? Uh,
1: a rubber band. No. A okay.
0: hand-cranked screw propeller. Really? The nicest thing you can say about this is that the carbon footprint is very, very low. This is a very yeah. eco-friendly well, machine Once in you've a way. got
1: all that cast iron smelted, right. sure. I, af- cast post- iron is very dirty. Post-manufacturing.
0: <laughs> it's, you know, it's really pretty planet-friendly.
1: It's also very silent. That that, that, that probably doesn't make a ton of noise it.
0: Well... I imagine there's a lot of clanking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. Okay.
0: The nicest thing you can say about the American Pioneer is that it worked. It could be propelled forward underwater.
1: Okay. I mean, honestly, if I'm looking at how to solve the problem of moving something underwater before, you know, during the age of steam, basically, Mm -hmm. it's honestly, that's, that's not that, that stupid no
0: it's stupid but it's not that stupid yeah i think right, that's the, right. best,
1: it's kinda, the best it's kind of it's kind of like a i, I kind of feel like this is something like Wiley coyote would order from the acme catalog yeah it's
0: a little bit looney tunes and, isn't and, it
1: and you could see it like you could see it working mm-hmm. you know like all those catapults and all those rocket propeller sure. you know roller skates but then
0: but then yeah <laughs> a few design flaws were kind of immediately apparent there was no air system. You just had to breathe whatever was inside when the hatches were shut. Uh, that's okay. that's a little bit of a flaw because it means you can only submerge for about fifteen minutes before the air starts going bad.
1: Right. Uh, I'm actually a little surprised you get fifteen minutes out of it, but okay. That's if you're All not
0: right, cranking too hard. If you're cranking at a leisurely pace,
1: yeah, because <laughs> you're going to be panting as you're. Okay. I'm just All thinking right. of how
0: much oxygen I use up when I work out. It's yeah, you know, I would not get fifteen minutes out there.
1: No, Uh no. But
0: maybe these guys are more fit than I am. Uh, they well, probably are. They
1: probably are. Maybe they're more <laughs> enthusiastic.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're worrying, you're curious about instrumentation, aren't
1: you? I'm assuming there is none. I'm assuming maybe they have like a rudimentary periscope and that's about it. Oh,
0: a periscope, you're adorable. Uh, <laughs> the American Pioneer only has one instrument, a barometer.
1: A barometer? Yes,
0: so you can measure depth. Otherwise, you are navigating completely blindly inside a four-foot-tall cast-iron cigar with no lights, no engine, and no way to tell how fast you're going, which way is up,
1: or what is ahead of you. I can't imagine how this is going to go wrong. No.
0: I mean, it's it's practically. The money is as good as theirs. Uh, Hunley loves the American Pioneer. He sponsors a series of trials in Lake Pontchartrain, outside the city. Okay.
1: Okay. As expected,
0: the submarine design works, but navigation is... A problem? It's impossible, basically. (laughs) Uh, What they end up doing is just like towing it into place and then trying to point it in a straight line. And then it can go underwater a certain distance and bring itself back up.
1: Have you ever done that thing where like you close your eyes and try to walk in a straight line?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, so, I'm great at it, I have to say.
1: It's sort of like, it's sort of like, like, they're basically trying to play pin the tail on the donkey with a, with a torpedo right. underwater. With a
0: submarine and <laughs> explosives. Yeah.
1: And, oh my God, this is, yeah. It's also a
0: lot slower than they were expecting. Uh, because okay. Because people can't crank cast iron propellers very fast.
1: Okay. <laughs> Uh, especially when they're slowly suffocating. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine that would cut yeah, down. Yeah, you on get your close to the end of that
0: fifteen minutes, and it starts really slowing down. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> guys, pick up. Nevertheless, the these three tout the trials as successful, and they apply oh, yeah. to the Confederate Definitely. government for position for permission to become privateers, so they can start sinking ships. Okay. At this point, okay. someone looks at the submarine <laughs> and thinks to themselves, "Why not?" And they get issued a letter of mark. (laughs) So now this weird little submarine is a CSS, a Confederate state ship.
1: That is not how I saw that line going. Wait a minute.
0: (laughs) Uh, But before they can head out and try to sink a Union ship, Union Naval Admiral David Farragut captures New Orleans, and our three submarine designers have to flee in the night. What happens to the American pioneer? They scuttle it in a canal. Off they go to Mobile Mobile. Mobile, Mobile, Alabama. In Mobile, they join forces with a local machine shop and take on three new partners. This becomes a real group project with each iteration.
1: All I can think about are those. All I can think about are those like school projects where one kid does all the work. One kid, you know, might show up for one meeting and then everybody else takes credit. No, this is not
0: that. This is like yeah, a couple kids at a junkyard build a car, and then more kids come running over and they're like, "Oh, hey, you need spoilers on that thing." And uh, kind of add to the design.
1: All right. So that leads me to a very important question. Mm-hmm. Did the submarine have spoilers on it?
0: It had fins. I don't think that's the same.
1: <sighs> it's a missed opportunity right there. It really
0: is. Uh, I'm going to design my submarines to have spoilers for sure.
1: I mean, we need some We need some like NASCAR submarines now.
0: So at this point, these new collaborators are able to able to make several improvements to McClintock's design. McClintock is the main designer. All right. Uh, They're making the crank propeller more efficient. They're making the shape narrower and longer, a little more aerodynamic. Okay. Uh, McClintock is obsessed with the idea of putting in an engine because he recognizes that the greatest flaw of this thing is that it just doesn't have very much power. Right. It's not going to be able to go a long distance. Okay. And it's not going to be able to go very fast.
1: Okay.
0: He develops a steam engine. The steam engine doesn't work. Yeah. He develops an electric engine that really doesn't work.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, and in the end, they have to stick with the human powered crank.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So yep. we don't get a... They're old school. We don't get a good old, uh, like, lots of toxic gases also filling up the submarine while you're trying to breathe what little oxygen is there. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: I feel like if they could have added something more dangerous to this, they would. <laughs> but at this point, they're at maximum
1: danger. We need to drill holes in the bottom for proper (laughs) airflow.
0: For buoyancy. Buoyancy,
1: yes. That'll be perfect. In February
0: 1863, this new craft, which is called the American Diver, right? The first one was the Pioneer. This is the Diver. Okay. They make a series of trials in Mobile Bay where it sinks on the first test. All right. Good. Uh, However, the crew is able to escape. No lives are lost. And it is salvaged to go on to do some more trials. Okay. Now at this point, Hunley and the other investors are out 30000 dollars, and they have yet to do any damage to the Union blockade, even though they are licensed privateers. Okay, okay. Hunley uses these trials, these successful trials, Yo. to round up another set of investors and some new partners, particularly a group of tor- torpedo. Manufacturers from Texas, including Edgar Singer, who has just invented a marine torpedo that Hunley loves. He thinks it will solve one of the main design flaws from the earlier models, okay. which tow torpedoes behind them. <laughs> so, Hunley's strategy is to dive under the keel of a ship. Yes. Okay. Right. With a torpedo trailing behind him and then surface okay. and then explode the torpedo. Right. Because, in theory, he'll be at a safe distance. Uh, cranking away from the explosion okay and the explosion will be on the other side of the ship
1: right okay okay okay
0: so it's not the worst strategy it's not the worst
1: uh, it's it's close though it's sort of it, <laughs> it,
0: it, it, <laughs> it's very acme it's very Tunes.
1: like they could have <laughs> thrown the torpedoes at it like gone swimming underwater carrying torpedoes and then uh, whatever okay
0: that's dangerous I'm surprised you would say that. That's very dangerous.
1: Mm, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. That, was, that was irresponsible. Never me. swim with yes. a torpedo. Dear Come listeners, on. never throw torpedoes at, at boats. That's on me. Okay. That's so this
0: new torpedo, the Singer torpedo, yep. can be put on a spar out ahead of the submarine. So all it has to do is hit the ship it wanted to sink, just like the torpedo boats.
1: So here's the thing I don't understand, I guess, about these uh, these torpedo boats. Everything I've read about mm-hmm. them is always, it has a torpedo attached to the prow. Yes. So you ram your ship into the ship you're trying to sink, mm-hmm. and then you detach the torpedo, right? You don't blow it up while you're still attached to it, right?
0: It's it's got a timer. Okay. You just have to like hit the ship hard enough so it sticks on the okay. side. All right. It's got a little yeah, that was, that was,
1: timer. That was the part that that just never really seemed like it. Uh, it it made the most sense. It was almost like you know.
0: And the torpedo itself is underwater, so it's not something that you would see if you were looking down the side of the ship.
1: Sure, that makes sense.
0: Right. So in in theory, you could ram a ship, detach yourself, uh, steam away.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And be out of
1: out Out of of the the blast radius. Okay. All right. right. All right.
0: All right. So he's got his Texas torpedo group. He's got a fresh influx of venture capital. I guess we could. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Hunley and the others designed their most ambitious submarine yet. This is larger and wider than the first two, and it has a crew of eight. Okay. Uh, that's eight people squeezed in there. Yeah. Like, in really, really tight quarters. And to get into the submarine, they're going to squeeze down two 22-inch conning towers. Uh-huh. Uh, it has a pilot. The pilot sits up front and steers. He controls the... Ascent and descent using levers. Can you see where he he's going the yet? Rudder. No. Yes, because okay. this is the luxury model. It has a two-inch glass porthole, which is in the conning tower.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: So the pilot can stand up, poke his head into the conning tower, and see in front of him. Uh, it's it's basic technology, but
1: I, you know. it, it sounds like it might just be crazy enough to work.
0: Eh. <laughs> He also has a compass and a barometer, and he can control a lot more to, like, there are fins, as we mentioned, yep. on either side. Not spoilers, yep. fins.
1: Fins, yeah. Uh,
0: those go up and down. And there's actually a little glass porthole along the top, a row of them. Okay. And that lets some light in. So if there's any ambient light in the water, the, the crew can actually see what
1: they're What, what they're, they're doing. doing. Okay. 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 Right.
0: They have candles to keep track of air quality. And most of the room inside this third submarine is taken up by a bench, right? That's one bench seated on the port side. And then it has this giant cast iron zigzag crankshaft that goes through a gearbox and powers the propeller. Okie doke. But that's the engine. These seven guys crammed in there. Right, right. Rowing, right. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Cranking. So it's a great invention. Yep. Don't know why it didn't catch nope. on.
1: They should have had a million of these in production. Would have, would have won the war in two years. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> what a horrifying thing. I hate these, these sort of theories. killed more people yep. on the Confederate side than you. I
1: didn't have. say which side would have won the war. <clears throat> right. Anyway.
0: Uh, this new submarine doesn't really have a name. They call it the fish boat because it really does look like a, fish. a porpoise. Yeah. yeah.
1: That makes sense.
0: Especially when it's in the water. Sure. They do some short subversion trials in Mobile Bay. On July 31st, they hold a public demonstration where the fish boat blows up an empty barge. Oh. They're using that towed torpedo. Sure,
1: sure. Strategy.
0: And they do it. They take out the barge. It is, it's, survives the explosion without okay. damage. Okay. All right.
1: That was going to be my follow-up question.
0: Nope. The crew is safe. Everybody is stoked. Okay. The Confederacy is, the Confederacy is like, give me some of that. Sure. The army requests that the fish boat be shipped to Charleston Harbor to take out the blockade there. Okey-doke. Okay, and she's not, like, being towed there. Nope. She is going by rail. She arrives safely in Charleston and begins nighttime trials there throughout the month of August. Mm-hmm. With McClintock acting as the pilot and the crew practicing cranking themselves around the harbor at two miles per hour, every day the blockade is getting heavier. Okay, Right, Charleston is a major port. Union forces are really trying to get at it. Sure. The Confederacy is bleeding money. Yeah. And just to make it worse, at the end of that August, Union soldiers start firing on the city itself from a nearby port. Okay. So this is the beginning of the siege of Charleston, and things are just not going well for the Confederates outside of Charleston. They're being pushed back as they try to capture targets in the north. Uh, By now, the Union has control of the Mississippi, and that blockade fleet gets bigger and bigger by the day. Yeah. So the officers in Charleston are getting more and more impatient with McClintock and his trial runs because they're like, you know, we want you here to blow stuff up. Why aren't you blowing stuff
1: sure, up? Sure, sure, sure.
0: Now this is interesting. The Confederate Navy doesn't have any interest in the fishboat. They see it as like an army thing.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, All right.
0: So it's General Beauregard of the army. Okay. Who eventually seizes the fish boat. And puts in his own sailors and starts training them. Uh, So at this point, it shifts from a civilian project to a military project. He also names the craft after H.L. Hunley, right, as a nod to the time and money Hunley spent on the project.
1: Okay. I mean, that's nice of him, I guess.
0: I guess, right? (laughs) On August 29th, this new naval crew, who are, again, remember, professional sailors... They're preparing for a daylight demonstration under the command of Naval Officer John Payne.
1: I, I'm so sorry. I'm confused. You you spent so much time uh, saying that they were Army and that the Navy didn't want anything to do with them.
0: So the Army is in control, but the people running the submarine Navy are Navy
1: personnel. personnel. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm back. It's a group
0: project, yep. as it has been. This entire time. Until now. Sorry, I should have been clear. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm back on board. I, I understand now.
0: It's a joint venture. Yeah. Uh, And the soldiers, the sailors who are on the ship are volunteers. So they're just like pulling people off the Confederate ships in the harbor saying, hey, do you want to try this fun, cool project (laughs) that we've got? So they're under the command of Officer John Payne. Okay. Something goes wrong. There is either a malfunction with a steering lever or a hatch or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible from the survivors, what the survivors say, it's possible that Payne trips and gets tangled up in the controls as he's lowering himself into the pilot seat. Okay. Uh, but it's also possible that the submarine was swamped by the wake of the ship that's towing her out for the demonstration. Okay. But either way, the fish boat goes underwater with a hatch still open and immediately oh. sinks to the bottom of the harbor, and there's no way f- drowning everybody five of the eight men crew. All right. This is a quote from an account by Lieutenant Charles Hasker, who was one of the survivors. Okay. Quote, the boat made a dive while the manholes were open and filled rapidly. Payne got out of the forward hole and two others out of the aft hole. Six of us went down with the boat. I had to get out over the bar, which connected the fins and down through the manhole. This I did by forcing myself through the column of water, which was rapidly filling the boat.
1: Cause that's the thing that jumped to mind for me is like you're gonna have a lot of water pressure fighting its way back inside.
0: Right. And he talks about swimming out the hatch and then not being able to get the rest of the way out because the the hatch closes on his leg yeah. and the water pressure is so heavy he can't, you can't move it, it move until it yeah. that, until, until it, it equalizes. Kind of yeah. Bounces him out. Yeah. yeah. God. Uh but this is these are the first five people who die in the submarine yep
1: but only the first dear listeners we've got more to go Uh, this is number one uh,
0: all right the confederate army is pissed sure they have no other option than to salvage the boat okay uh they don't have any other submarines they really need to get rid of this blockade what they end up doing is raising up the boat burying the dead sailors cleaning it out sure and trying again Uh, This time, however, they're going to sail it with the help of Horace Hunley himself, who was out of town on the day of the accident, but immediately writes to General Beauregard, who is the Confederate Army officer in charge of the project. Okay, Sir, quote, I am part owner of the torpedo boat, the Hunley. I have been interested in building this description of boat since the beginning of the war and furnished the means entirely of building the predecessor of this boat, which was lost in an attempt to blow up a federal vessel off Fort Morgan in Mobile Harbor. I feel a deep interest in its success. I propose if you will place the boat in my hands to furnish a crew in whole or in part from Mobile who are well acquainted with its management, I will make the attempt to destroy a vessel of the enemy as early as practicable
1: Okay.
0: Uh, P.S. I don't know what he's talking about because he never tried to blow up a federal vessel off Fort Morgan.
1: Yeah, that's weird. That's a weird flex, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's a letter. It's. I <laughs> mean, you can say whatever. Yeah, you want nobody's nobody. It's it's like just tossing some nonsense out on Twitter. Nobody's gonna fact check you.
0: <laughs> he's a
1: creative person. Okay.
0: Okay. In October, the fish boat is ready to go again. This time with a fresh crew. And again, these are naval sailors, not the civilians that Hunley suggests. Right,
1: right. Okay.
0: They're under the command of Captain George Dixon. Okay. Their new trials are a success, and they're also a crowd pleaser. Dixon decides he's not going to do nighttime trials like McClintock was doing. He's going to go out in the middle of the day and entertain the people. Sure.
1: Bread and circuses. Something to take their mind off of uh, the fact that they're losing horribly.
0: Yeah, it's actually a big draw. A lot of Charlestonians go down to the harbor and it's like a social event to watch the ship surface and dive cool. over and over. Cool. Right? Uh, on October 15th, George Dixon takes a day off and Horace Henley agrees to act as pilot for the day.
1: Oh, I can <laughs> Okay. Okay.
0: Now they're trying something a little more complicated than just diving and surfacing. Okay. They're trying to go under a larger ship anchored in the harbor, a Confederate ship that they're just practicing Right, right, on. right, right. So what they're trying to do is just maneuver underneath, pop up the other side. Okay. As they do with the
1: when trailing When they actually, torpedoes. yeah. Right. Okay.
0: So on the first dive, the fish boat goes down, but to the horror of the spectators, it fails to surface again. All eight people aboard, including Hunley, die of asphyxiation at the bottom of the harbor. Uh, again, the cause of the accident can't be pinned down completely. Yeah. But it's speculated that Hunley was unfamiliar with the valves operating the ballast system.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: That's the system where they... Yep. That's how they get up and down.
1: Yep. Okay. So if he... He was
0: unable to correct his initial dive in time to avoid losing control and hitting the bottom. Uh, again, because the bottom of the harbor is silty, it's not rocky, the submarine itself is not damaged, so she's salvaged and cleaned out. Okay. That's a euphemism.
1: Yeah. I I, I, I followed. Yep. The
0: second crew is laid to rest in Magnolia Cemetery alongside the first crew, and General Beauregard decides he wants nothing more to do with the project. Can you blame
1: him, though?
0: <laughs> he wants it off his plate yeah. completely. Uh, Captain Dixon asks for another chance to use the fish boat on the blockade, and Beauregard says no in a telegram. Quote, I can have nothing more to do with that submarine boat. Tis more dangerous to those who use it than to the enemy.
1: He's not wrong. At this point, at this point, he's
0: not wrong. (laughs) He is is 100% correct, and he continues to be correct. But Dixon really loves this idea. He really wants to do it. And he has backing up from Beauregard's higher-ups, who care more about the blockade than the quote-unquote safety issues (laughs) or the fact that the Hunley has now killed 13 people and sunk zero ships. Uh, And eventually he's allowed to form a new crew of naval volunteers and begin training them. Okay. In February of 1864, they settle on a target, the USS Housatonic, which is a wooden ship, a boat made of wood, a 207-foot sloop man-of-war, which is anchored just off Rattlesnake Shoal near the mouth of the harbor. So after sundown on February 17th, the Hunley and her new crew, under the command of Captain Dixon, set out from their dock at Sullivan Island and head towards the Housatonic. All right. As far as we know, this is her first attempt to go out and attack a ship. Yes. So after all this practice and testing and trialing, and after those two horrible mass drownings, this is the first time where she's actually going out to attack a ship. Now, the Housatonic has orders to keep a rigorous watch schedule. Okay. The Union knows they're not going to win this war if the blockade fails. They know that the Confederates are desperate to break it. And they also know about the torpedo boats. So the summer before, one had snuck up and hit an ironclad ship in the Charleston Harbor and caused a ton of damage. Yeah. Although it didn't sink in. Yeah,
1: because it's an ironclad.
0: But uh, the Union captains are under orders to keep their boilers pressured up. These are mostly steamships. Right, right. So they're kind of ready to go at all times. Their guns are trained on the water so they can hit those torpedo boats if they can see them. Uh, another safety precaution is that they're supposed to be anchoring in the shallowest water they can find, and, uh, they're also keeping a very close eye on the water overnight. Good. So they're doing a double watch. Okay. Ships with wooden hulls, like the Housatonic, are also supposed to keep iron netting draped around their sides, which are, in theory, going to make it harder for explosives to reach the hull. Right. Uh, the Housatonic doesn't have it on this night, for reasons I was unable to find. (laughs) It's just... Maybe they really, didn't yeah, have one.
1: Maybe, maybe they're just... You know, it's really hard to put it out and then bring it back in in the morning, you know? It was probably at the cleaners. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually mean, I, a solid I guess. I hate being
0: overdressed or, you know, well, uh, wearing the wrong thing at the wrong time.
1: Especially when you're a ship, you know?
0: Uh, so at 8.45 on the evening of the 17th, the Housatonic's already paranoid night watch spots what they think is a porpoise about 100 yards off the starboard bow. They grab their, I think it's like looking glasses, those spy glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They start looking at it, and they sound the alarm when they notice it starts running in a straight line right at the ship.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a problem.
0: The Housatonic has an executive officer named F.J. Higginson, who was in his cabin at the time of the incident. Okay. Um, but he did have time to get up onto the deck and look, quote... I saw something resembling a plank moving forward, moving towards the ship at a rate of three or four knots. Uh, And he goes on to specify that the object looked like, quote, a plank sharp at both ends. It was entirely awash with the water and a glimmer of light showed through the top of it. Okay. So he's definitely seeing something that is not a porpoise. (laughs) <laughs> but it's also not a torpedo boat. Right. And when this incident is reported on later, uh, reporters keep misquoting eyewitnesses and just calling it a torpedo boat attack.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: But the crew immediately starts firing on this weird ship, uh, but now it's running underwater and it's too close and coming at them too fast to move the ship away, even with their boiler out Okay. The submarine rams straight into the middle of the ship and the spar-mounted torpedo punches a hole through the hull and lands in the ship's magazine. There is an enormous explosion.
1: Oh my god, yeah.
0: Within five minutes, the Housatonic sinks.
1: Okay, so at this point, they've killed Mm -hmm. more people than they've gotten killed on the submarine. No. No? How many people were on the Housatonic?
0: 160. Okay. Uh, Do you remember when I told you the blockade fleet was supposed to park in shallow water? Yeah. Uh, the Housatonic was anchored in water so shallow that even though the ship sank right, right away, oh. the masts and the sails were still above were still above water. Oh my
1: God! So, okay, okay. About
0: twenty guys jump in the lifeboat to go get some help, and the remaining crew members just climb in the rigging and wait for a ride.
1: Did okay. anybody die? Yes. Okay. Five
0: Union sailors are killed in the initial blast. Wow.
1: Okay, yeah. so the score at this point is still thirteen to five. Yes. Okay.
0: Uh, The ship itself is a total loss. Sure,
1: sure, sure. You lose the ship.
0: So the Confederacy is finally able to say, we sank a ship.
1: Yay.
0: (laughs) Great. Uh, Two days later, Union naval salvagers, including divers, retrieve her guns and scuttle the rest of the Housatonic. Sure. Uh, They make kind of an examination, but they're unable to say what caused the explosion. And although the Housatonic survivors are reporting something running at them underwater, the official report just calls it another torpedo boat attack. Sure. Sure. As for the CSS Huntley, it never resurfaces. It never returns to Sullivan's Island, and the crew is never heard from again.
1: Okay. And
0: it's a while before it's even tied to the sinking of the Housatonic, because of that misinformation at the very beginning. Okay. Uh, Local newspapers report all kinds of things, including rumors that the Huntley is still out in the harbor, sinking blockade ships left and right.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So even
0: though he hated the (laughs) Huntley... General Beauregard actively spreads these rumors because he thought they boosted morale. Oh, sure,
1: and they definitely make the blockading ships more nervous. Sure,
0: uh, except that the blockading ships knew that. <laughs> yeah, nobody no, was
1: nobody's been off by nobody died in the night, dude.
0: Moving planks.
1: So, <laughs> so the Hunley hit the ship and sunk it, but mm-hmm. they themselves were sunk along with it. Do we know how?
0: Nobody saw them okay. sink.
1: Well, sure, they, they were already just underwater. never
0: returned to port, and there was no, you know. No bodies, no pieces floating around. There was nothing to say what had
1: happened. Okay, okay.
0: Uh, The Confederacy went on to lose the war. The Siege of Charleston continued for another year. And Robert E. Lee surrenders to Ulysses Grant. And the Civil War ends about a year after, a year and a few months after the Housatama
1: sinks. Yes.
0: So, though it was the first combat submarine to sink a warship. (laughs) Boy, those uh, need big asterisks, don't they? (laughs) I'm putting it in huge air quotes, oh. you can't see me. Uh, but it is what it is known for sure. and it is sure. true. But although it has this spectacular achievement, the CSS Hunley is largely forgotten by the end of the war because I think it's just hard to root for a vessel that killed all 3 of its crews plus its own designer and major investor.
1: Yep. And how many people, how many people were on the last the last ride of the Hunley? Was it it was another 8?
0: One pilot, one pilot and uh, seven so rowers.
1: 25 yeah. people killed in the submarine, and they killed five people. And yep. and sunk a ship.
0: Yeah, they, they did some damage. Uh, they scared some people, and they entertained the crowd in the harbor.
1: And, you know, at the end of the day, isn't that... It's really all <laughs> it's about... It's really all about the fans.
0: <laughs> the fans.
1: <clears throat> wow. Okay.
0: I take hate a the cyber. story. I hate it.
1: <laughs> Gonna
0: take a quick cyber and tell you what happened to uh, James McClintock. Oh designer. sure, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm. I'm.
0: He goes back to Mobile. He starts a dredging business. It's
1: not <laughs> he exciting. Starts a for dredging him. business. Did he ever yeah. go out to I mean, look he knows for the, all about <laughs>
0: the bottom of? <laughs> no, he's over it.
1: <sighs> fair, fair. Um,
0: fair, he has this very interesting, very spotty, very sketchy career that includes uh, torpedo design. He loves building bombs, again. He travels a lot. He goes all over the country. He does a scam on the Irish mob in Philadelphia.
1: Does he now?
0: Touchy for him. Okay. Uh, It's possible he fakes his own death.
1: Yes, please.
0: He goes out and the ship he is on blows Mm -hmm. up. But his body is never found, and two years later, someone using his travel papers turns up in England and offers to sell submarine designs to the British Navy. Uh huh. There is a fascinating article I'm going to put in the show notes, um, in from Smithsonian, where they talk about how this guy may or may not have been the real James McClintock. Talk, but either way, it is a.
1: Oh wow! App. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: You gotta kind of
1: little little. You Very tiny to... <laughs> tip of the hat right there.
0: <laughs> it was a good sure. scam. Okay. So over the next few years, what had sunk, the story of what had sunk the Housatonic became more and more of like a national interest. So not so much the Hunley was involved, but this kind of what could it have right. been? This kind of speculation and the eyewitness, eyewitness accounts are looked at more carefully uh, the people who worked on the Hunley are starting to come out and say, yeah, we built a submarine. And then divers keep exploring the wreck of the Housatonic, looking for evidence that there was a submarine. Okay. And local divers, as they get more and more information, keep looking for the Hunley at the bottom of the bay over the next hundred years. Okay. We're going to fast forward to 1980 and the writer Clive Cussler. He's a big fan of dive projects, and he sponsors one in Charleston Harbor where amateur divers tow a marine magnetometer. Okay. Which I guess is like a giant magnet. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, in which essence, is what you would want yeah. to
0: find a cast iron ship. Okay. <laughs> they drive it around the harbor for 15 years. <laughs>
1: 15 years? Yes.
0: They take breaks. One they would
1: imagine. Breaks.
0: Um, they finally spot it buried in silt a thousand feet east of the wreck of the Housatonic. Huh. And surprisingly, it's not in line with where you would expect it to be if it hit the Housatonic and just started to sail back to its home base. Sure. If you drew a line from the wreck of the Housatonic to Sullivan Island, the Hunley was way off that line. It was way out more towards, more towards the open ocean. And this
1: is during the time period where they could see where they were going, Right.
0: They had that two-inch window, uh, but it was nighttime. You think maybe they got lost?
1: (laughs) Sure, maybe. It's not a bad guess.
0: Well, they had a compass by then.
1: This is so dumb. I just... I just... (laughs) I... I, I, uh, There's a part of me that genuinely feels bad, just on a human being level, for the people Mm -hmm. in the Hunley. But at the same time... At no point did this seem like a bad idea to y'all. Like, really?
0: I think you're allowed to have both of those, both of those feelings. I
1: just, I I feel badly for like, you know, the, the 19 year old kid who signed up to be in the Navy and and dies on the bottom of Charleston Harbor, you know, drowning in, in a completely unworkable machine. Like it just. Mm hmm. But at the same time, dude, it's cast iron being powered by a screw. Like, what? why would you think it would? Uh, Whatever. Whatever.
0: It's a miracle of modern technology. They sunk a ship. I mean, you have to have a lot of faith. You have to have a lot of faith in this technology. And whatever (sighs) McClintock and Hunley were selling, people were buying it. People believed them.
1: Okay. All right.
0: I can, you know, I agree with you, but I can also see how people would have been like, yeah, I wouldn't mind going for a ride on that death trap
1: sure sure okay
0: all right <laughs> so clive Custer has the coordinates he leaves it there until the state of south carolina is able to figure out what to do
1: oh right because who's got right? the right he does to not it.
0: hand over the coordinates until they decide who's going to pay to raise yep. it where it's going to go who owns it okay and it takes them a couple of years to do that a salvage company finally raises it in 2000 using a truss and a cradle that minimized damage to the wreck and kept it at that 45 degree angle because it kind of landed on its okay. side and they want to keep it as stable as possible. Sure. So it comes out of the water on the morning of August 8th, 2000, and by the end of the day, it's inside a giant tank of salt water in its very own conservation center in North Charleston. Okay. One of the big questions is, did anyone survive?
1: I'm guessing now, And they
0: know right away that nobody did, because the remains of eight people are sure. still inside. Yeah,
1: you just kind of count the skulls. Uh,
0: yep. And the skulls are in great shape. Oh, and they also want to know what happened, obviously. They want to know what caused sure. it to sink and what killed everybody. Because it is not immediately evident that people have drowned.
1: Okay, okay.
0: You would expect if the submarine got a hole in it, people would have left their stations and gone for the hatches because they're in relatively shallow sure. water yeah, yeah yeah and we know from her previous accidents that you can get out of it right.
1: nobody but, got out
0: <laughs> no nobody got out and there is evidence to damage to the outside of the submarine including a hole punched right through the hull okay but it was hard to tell what kind of damage it had sustained the night it sank versus the damage that had been done in 140 years of sand and salt water and high right. tides and storms right, right. Researchers concluded that the rudder had broken the night it sank. Okay. So possibly in the impact, something started to fall off. One of the glass viewports is missing. Oh, okay. Uh, Possibly it was shot out the night of the attack. Although they do not find any bullets inside. Huh. One of the hatches was unlocked but closed, and no one was near it. So no one was inside the conning tower trying to get out. Okay, okay. Or the remains of the crew were all still at their stations. Okay. And more interestingly, the levers controlling the ballast pumps were not in the open position, which suggests that the Hunley was not taking on water when okay. it
1: sank. Interesting.
0: Want to hear some theories?
1: Yeah. Uh, is Yeti one of the theories?
0: <laughs> no, but aliens. Aliens. This is not <laughs> not as involved as the Russian hikers. Yeah. Uh, one theory is that damage to the rudder or diving fins rendered the submarine unable to rise up to the surface and the crew asphyxiated at their
1: posts. Okay, sure.
0: We know very little about the mission details, which seem to be mostly in George Dixon's right. head. And it's possible he just planned to hang out on the seafloor until the ship sank, the Housatonic right. sank, and the tide changed, which would help, you know, propel them back to their home base. Uh, but he misjudged the air in this okay. theory. And people asphyxiated. Okay. They might also have been taking on water thanks to the broken porthole. Right. Port hole. Uh, the research on the Hunley suggested it could have been swamped by as little as 75 gallons of water.
1: Oof. Wow. So
0: it could have just been that the water, whatever damage the water did, it came in too fast for anyone to react to it. Okay. Another theory has to do with the fact that this was the first time the Hunley was attempting to use Singer's spar torpedo idea. Okay. A researcher named Rachel Lance looked at the evidence as part of her PhD research and concluded that the submarine sank after the crew of the Hunley died of injuries sustained in the initial explosion. They were simply too close.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my my guess was like, is it possible that either A, they were too close to the actual explosion, or B, that they were too close and got caught in a shockwave, either destroy the submarine uh, where it couldn't rise again, or just, mm-hmm. you know, one concussion on the wrong person in that ship, and everybody dies.
0: Well, what she did was she looked at the torpedo itself. So they were carrying a 150-pound black powder torpedo on a 16-foot iron stick. Right. There's no way to put that. That doesn't sound like a yeah. child's toy. <laughs> no,
1: it's – well, it depends on your child, I suppose. <laughs> sure.
0: Mine are dangerous. Uh, and it just didn't give them a lot of room between the shockwave and the submarine. Okay. So Rachel Lance is an expert on underwater explosions. She worked for the Navy before she did her PhD. And she crunched all the data she could find on the Hunley and concluded that the most likely cause of death is the air blast trauma that would have occurred inside the ship from being so close to the torpedo explosion.
1: Aha!
0: Uh, So her theory is actually that the force of the explosion caused the Hunley's cast iron hull to flex and produce a secondary shockwave inside the hull with enough force to kill the crew where they sat oh wow and the physics behind this i don't understand them but they're
1: no fascinating. that that sounds like that would work yeah absolutely
0: it's actually a greater force than if they had been floating in the water yeah. outside the ship
1: yeah. yeah absolutely
0: uh she wrote a book on the topic it's written for lay people it's super interesting uh i read it and it convinced me that this is what happened
1: okay cool
0: Today, the CSS H.L. Hunley is being actively cleaned and conserved. She actually looks pretty good. She's had most of her hull scraped out from under a 1,200-pound layer of concretion. That's like the marine yep. life and yep. minerals that collect on. Wow. Uh, and now she's like partway through a seven-year chemical bath that will hopefully leach out the salt that's remaining in right. the iron while she was underwater. Okay. And uh, after that, the plan is to move her to a permanent display in a maritime museum. Okay. So right now, she's a joint project of the state and federal governments, Clemson University, and a supporting nonprofit called Friends of the Hunley.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: that... uh, Friends of the Hunley runs the Hunley.org website, which is fascinating. It has all the details that we did not have time to put in here,
1: okay.
0: um, as well as the conservation center itself. So if you're in Charleston, you can tour the conservation center and check out the Hunley in her chemical bath. Uh, you can also look at some truly creepy artifacts, including facial reconstructions of her final crew, okay. which they did based on the skulls that they found. Sure. And you can also see the pilot's lucky gold coin, which he had in his pocket when he died.
1: So not a super lucky gold coin.
0: Okay. It deflected a bullet in the Battle of Shiloh and he kept it on him. Remember, he was not on the submarine the day that Hunley took over. That's true. Okay. So he must have felt like he dodged another bullet. Okay.
1: Okay, but fair. he
0: still had it in his pocket when she sank.
1: All right. so, well, maybe he used up all the luck.
0: It's only a two incident lucky coin. <laughs> and that's the story of the Confederate submarine H.L. Hunley.
1: Oh, yikes. All right. What a
0: wild ride. Did you enjoy yourself?
1: No, not really. It's always <laughs> weird to talk about this stuff. It's sort of like, you know, I don't like, I don't like a lot of, a lot of wartime stuff gets boiled down to, to too easy anyway. And I really don't like when when we have to take a lot of the nuance out of something just mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it in a short period of time. But
0: to me, this is a more of a civilian invention gone wrong.
1: Agreed. Story agreed. That agreed.
0: somehow made its way into military history.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Hey, wild ride indeed.
0: Really uh, took a deep dive there.
1: I'm not. I'm not giving you that one. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I had to.
1: <laughs> you didn't have to. Nobody nobody forced you. All right. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know.
0: You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster, which I hope will be more uplifting. (laughs) What's it going to be, Greg?
1: I'm so glad you used uplifting because we're going to talk about (laughs) something falling from space. So we're going to go from from under the water to high up in the atmosphere. We are going to talk about uh, the time that Skylab fell to
0: Earth. I am really excited for this. I know nothing about it, but
1: it, it was a fascinating me. science project, and and its demise <laughs> is just as fascinating.
0: I can't wait to hear about that.
1: All right.